Welcome to the Life in the Kingdom podcast. I'm your host, journalist with the Christian Post, Brandon Showalter. Navigating the seasons of life, particularly during times of transition, can prove to be one of the more challenging aspects of following God. And many tend to think about their current circumstances in black and white terms, good or bad, up or down. But maybe it's time to step back and gain some perspective. Pastor and author Keon Henderson, who leads Lighthouse Church in Houston, argues in his upcoming book, The Shift, courageously moving from season to season, that due to life's seasonal nature, it's an easy trap for many to fall into. But it needn't be the case because it's those exact in-between times where God most wants to meet us. And finding God amid those transitional periods becomes a lot easier when we know his purpose. I'm delighted to have him as my guest today. He's joining us today on the Life in the Kingdom podcast. Pastor Keon, welcome. Well, it is such an honor uh, to be with you. Your reputation precedes itself, and I can't tell you how much of an honor it is uh, to be here uh, sharing with your audience. I know how much you care about them, so I know it means a lot for you to share me with them. Well, thank you. And uh, so... Before we dive into the content of your book, tell me, do you like transitions? I mean, I tell you, this is navigating all this stuff. I, I'm just full disclosure. I do not. I find those in between times so frustrating. So I think it's a pertinent subject for many people. But how did this book, uh, what was the genesis of it? How did it come about? Well, when you first, the first question you asked, do you like transitions? The first thing that came to mind was, transmissions. And, mm. you know, when a transmission makes a transition, uh, whether it be from first, second, or third gear, you know, there's always that jerk there, right? There's always that pull, that that moment of discomfort in between. And the hardest thing about transitions uh, is when you're going from one season to the other. So the question uh, that you ask, if I'm being totally transparent, no, I, I like things to be normal. I like things to be still, but I also like to embrace change. And so what uh, institutes the book, uh, what brings it about uh, is that I am a person who has been through literal hell and high water. If it's uh, from uh, not having my father in my life growing up uh, to uh, having a mother who raised four children off of a $7 an hour um, a salary working at Taco Bell, uh, not knowing half of my family growing up in Gary, Indiana, where we heard uh, gunshots at night. I, I just could go on and on. And I used to wonder why in the world uh, am I dealt such a difficult hand? And I did not realize that God was actually broadening the amount of people that I could speak to uh, with my ministry and my life by allowing me to have these circumstances. And so I remember one day talking to the um, editor uh, who was a great friend and said, you should put your story in a book. And you know, most people don't know that their story is uh, is worthy of pages, right? I just thought it was my story, and I thought uh, that it was one that I would live. I never thought it was one uh, that would outlive me that I could teach. So it was actually suggested to me that I put everything in the print and that I would document my trauma and how I overcame it and use those as shift keys, if you will, uh, to help other people. So I can't say one day I woke up and said, I'm going to put this in the book. Uh, it was suggested uh, to me by someone I respect very much, uh, and uh, that's how the shift came about. Wow, there's so many, so many things there to explore. So, tell us, how did you make the shift out of that thinking when you considered take any one of those difficulties that you had growing up? How were you able to make that flip in your mind that okay, yeah, you were dealt a raw deal, you had a rough hand handed to you, 
How did it shift in your mind that, you know, actually God's going to use this for redemptive purposes? I have an incredible mother. Her name is Gwen Scott. I can't tell you that I have had any experience in life where my mother was not front and center, whether it was a basketball game and as uh, as many resources as she lacked. It didn't matter if I played in Las Vegas at UNLV or uh, in Lansing, Michigan against Michigan State. My mother found a way. Now, you're talking about a woman who was struggling to pay bills, who found a way to see her son perform. She taught us to appreciate everything and expect nothing. And so uh, her strength has always been my guide. And she always told us not to feel sorry for ourselves, that uh, that nobody was better than us, but we were no better than anyone else. And so her teachings um, and her foundation, uh, her father was a steel worker who uh, taught her how to work. So she uh, just translated those skill sets over to us and you know, she she was my foundation and my rock, and she really taught me how to do it. Um, the moment that I recognized that God would use my story, uh, you have to remember, uh, or let me even inform you and in the audience, I've been preaching the gospel since I was 14 years old, right? So I've, I was a teenage preacher. I've been pastoring since the age of 21. My entire life has been dedicated to ministry. I knew nothing else. I had nothing else. And so here I am, this young man. Uh, who is uh, told uh, to preach the gospel by God. I've had my my uh, Damascus experience, if you will, on my Paul on the road. And and here I am preaching the gospel. And, and I never knew that it would be uh, instrumental. But then the audiences grew and, and the, and, and the uh, invitations came. And more and more people said that that's something I'm going through. And at the moment, I realized that I was overcoming things that people in my generation were currently dealing with. I thought maybe there is something here. Maybe God wants me to speak about this. And I grew up in that era where what goes on in this house stays in this house. But uh, as my faith uh, proliferated and, and as it grew, I recognized that it was my destiny to help people reach theirs and that it was my destiny to show people how to overcome fatigue no matter what life presents. And at the moment I reconciled with that, uh, I availed myself to helping people, and I, I hope, I just hope that that's what I'm doing right now. Well, it's it's such an important thing to be able to see with God's perspective. And you talk in the book a lot about this book, The Shift That You've, that's coming out soon, that whatever it is, whatever we see as a transition, whatever, we, you know, you've just graduated and you expect uh, to get this next job or things don't work out, or you, you've got these milestone markers that, okay, you expect you to do this and this and this and formulaic prescription, you're going to have success. And then sometimes there's just curveballs and we sort of have these expectations about, well, God's supposed to come through for me and he isn't in the way I've expected it. And, and just learning to see all that. But you, you stress that, okay, whatever it is, you've got to have knowledge of God's greater purpose. Could you elaborate a bit, a bit, a bit more on that? Absolutely. So, you know, I think, you know, when you have a message, I think I read somewhere uh, just yesterday and, and I want to make sure that I'm that I'm getting the quote right. I think it said and it was talking about businesses. It said that bad times destroy bad businesses, that the good companies will survive and the great ones will find a way to improve. And, and I think that is applicable to relationships and people that if you are a bad person innately, then a bad time will expose you. If you are a good person, then a good time, a bad time will just uh, allow you to leverage uh, who you are. And if you are a great person, then all of a sudden you'll find out 
that something will come out of you uh, that will instantly change and, and help the world. And so when I was writing the book, and I think it's also important to know, I didn't self-publish this book. I, I was uh, given this deal through Hachette and my spiritual father, Bishop T.D. Jakes, who I speak to every day. Uh, when you hear all of that, uh, they tell you, and you've got all of that greatness around you, they tell you how important it is to not just only preach the word of God, which is what I do, right? But how do I actually tell my story? Because it's a story that helps a person uh, to, to get through. And and chapter one of the book of The Shift, I talk about death, divorce, and daddy issues. It Those are three things right there that could just send any person up a wall. But I embraced life changes, right? No matter how hard they seem to be, and I would say this to your listeners, no matter what it is, I considered them uh, as evidence to where God was leading me next. See, this this is what helped me because these are my kingdom principles. And I'm not just a preacher. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I'm, I was a former athlete. So I've got this uh, gumbo, if you will, of, of different talents, talents and experiences. Um, and so I learned that that I couldn't lean to my own understanding, but I couldn't trust basketball and and I couldn't depend on people. I had to trust God and uh, which is what God calls us all to do. So uh, that that helped me. Uh, it is my life's purpose to kind of translate that message uh, into those who I get an opportunity to have audience with. And, and I pray that those are some of the keys and clues that will help people make it from point A to point B. Well, let's unpack that in, the, in your chapter one, your first book. How can people get past those three Ds, death, divorce, and daddy issues? Wow. <laughs> I think <laughs> Go I think for it. Must Take my, it away. Because yeah. <laughs> you almost sound like you are in my study time. I um, I am, you know, we're all pastors right now. We're all preaching and we're preaching two and three messages a week, right? Because, um, you know, we're recording online. And I wrote a sermon yesterday uh, called Outsmarting the Obstacle. And I said in that message, I said, uh, most people are saying, what's the secret, right? Everybody wants to know what am I missing? Uh, is it, it, it can't be prayer because I pray. It, it can't be worship because I worship. You may have affluent people say it can't be money because, yeah, I'm not the richest person in the world, but I've got a savings account, right? I can buy a hamburger or two. What is the secret? Here is the secret to overcoming anything. And I believe these are transferable truths that no matter where you are, what you're dealing with, these are three things. And I'm not saying these are the only three, right? But I'm just saying that these are three that I found to be important. Number one, your approach. You have to have the right approach. If you don't have the right approach, you will not get the right response. Number two, you have to have action. Most people get uh, to the forks and roads or to the obstacles in the middle of the road, and they never get around them. And if I could tell a quick story, uh, there's a story about a king who had become frustrated with how entitled the people in his kingdom had become. And and so what he did is he put an, a, a big boulder in the middle of the road. Uh, and he put that there to to see what the people would do. And so he went off into the side of the road and he watched the response of the people. And, and he noticed that time after time, person after person turned around and went in the opposite direction of the obstacle, except for one man. One man went into the forest and he got a tree limb, a, a big branch, and, and he turned it into a lever and, and he put it underneath the, the boulder and he lodged the boulder out of the way. And the boulder went rolling down the hill. And underneath that boulder was a stockpile of gold and a note from the king. 
And the king wrote on the note, he said, never forget within every obstacle is an opportunity to improve our condition. I think that's fascinating Mm. that if he had turned around like everybody else and had been inactive, he would have never solved both problems. He, number one, solved the problem of inactivity. But remember, I said he was a poor man. And so he solved the problem of poverty just by moving that obstacle out of the way. He had found something that was hidden there by the king. And to all of the listeners who are, who are listening to us, there is some stick, if you will have action, that can move your boulder out of the way. And there is a stockpile of something valuable that God has hidden beneath every obstacle. If you'll move it, you can improve your condition. So I believe that every person who comes to those moments of inactivity or, or, or approach, if you have the right approach, if you have the right action. And number three, I think is very important. You have to adjust because you cannot fall in love with what you had in mind. It may require you to adjust your method. It may require you to adjust your performance, your mentality, your perspective, the way you think. But I believe that approach, action, and adjustment is the way to overcome any issue, whether it's death, divorce, daddy issues, poverty, uh, stuck in a bad relationship, a bad job, uh, emotional trauma, you have to approach it right. You have to have action, and then you have to adjust. You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back. Well, let's hear more about your road to Damascus experience, because I think even though what you're saying is all those tools are so important and we have to, you know, we can't just sit around and wait for God to just drop things in our lap. I mean, he's, you know, he's given us a brain, he's given us, you know, creativity, he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness, according to the scripture. But we also have to personally encounter him along the way. I mean, his presence has to be made known, and I, he does show up in our lives. Tell us about your Damascus experience that you mentioned earlier, and how do you encounter God uh, on a regular basis, particularly as you're helping people shift their seasons and shift their mindsets to get out of these transitory seasons? But even more broadly, just how do we encounter God amid all this? Yeah, I really am going to hire you to come down here and help me write these sermons because (laughs) every question you ask seems to be in line with where I am. Um, There is um, a story uh, in the scripture about Paul on the road to Damascus, and I don't want to over-spiritualize it because I know your audience is diverse, but I think that uh, to set the foundation, it's extremely important. Paul in Acts chapter 9, the Bible says that he is breathing out threats and slaughter. That means that he has such a visceral language uh, according to where he is in life that that he's breathing like a dragon. He's angry. He's on his way to kill Christians. Right. Right. But then we get over to Acts chapter 22 and he's going through a similar circumstance. But this time he recounts in Acts chapter two what happened to him in Acts chapter nine. And he begins to talk about how he was on the way to kill Christians and he was on his way 
uh, to do the very thing, because at this moment they're trying to kill Paul. He's telling them, I know what it's like to be angry. Yeah. I know what it's like to be so frustrated with somebody that you want to harm them because I was once there. But he says, I have learned that that the negative isn't always necessary as it relates to speech. And if I could help anybody who's listening to us today, I believe within every fiber of my being that one of the ways you overcome your Damascus experience is by changing the way you talk about it. Mm. That death and life is in the power of the tongue and that it is also possible that you could be going through something negative and still have something positive to say about it. Uh. That, that, that you don't have to re uh, how should I say you shouldn't regurgitate yeah. what you have to relive. Mm. You don't have to. Uh, I, my father didn't raise me. But if you hear me talk about my father, uh, other than in a moment where people are asking about the story, I say he was one of the greatest ministers to ever live, that he was one of the greatest people to ever live. And guess what? When I became the age that my father was, I recognized how difficult it must have been for him to admit to his world that he had had an illegitimate son with the woman he was not married to while he was still married to the woman that he died married to. Mm. How difficult must that must that have that been? And so when I put myself in his position, I recognize that maybe, just maybe, that the same pain that I felt at his hand, possibly he felt at his father's hand. Wow. And you have to recognize that if anybody hurt you, Listen to me, everyone. If anybody hurt you, you better know that somebody hurt them before they hurt you. Yep. I changed the way I talked about it. Mm. I changed the way I spoke about it. And if you can change the way you speak, you can change your experience. Yeah, that is so powerful because I think so, so often we like to hold on to those wounds. As strange as it sounds, it's like, you know, it feels, I mean, especially if you love justice, you know, you can nurse your wounds and it's not admitting that what happened was right or that it wasn't hard or, or that you're even denying it by changing the way you talk about it. But it really is so powerful. And it's absolutely true that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And I find too, that people often say death is in the power of the tongue, but no, Life also is in the power of the tongue. And uh, what's, you know, what the other scripture, I think it's in Proverbs, that what a man is, is, is in his heart, he speaks. Like it, out of the out of yeah. the mouth comes what, what's going on in, inside. That's that's really, really powerful. Well, share share more, if you will, about your own life and how you've overcome obstacles, like changing the way you speak about it. And how long did it take for you to notice that you were... You, that your experience of how you saw everything had changed. I mean, it certainly doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. Yeah, I wish I could say, hey, everybody, I got it. As soon as I was born, when I came out of my mother's womb, I had it, right? <laughs> that's that's what we would like to say. No, All fixed now. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It 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 hurt. It hurt. Uh, Brandon, it hurt. Oh, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many days I cried. Mm. Sam Cooke's song, A Change Is Gonna Come, became my favorite song. I actually recorded that song on an album that I released uh, a couple years ago called The River. It was a song that ministered to me. I listened to it every single night. A change is going to come. I was born by the river in a little tent. And and it just, I rehearsed it over and over and over and over and over. And after I rehearsed it, I rehearsed it. And after I rehearsed it, I did it again. 
and I became desperate. And I never will forget, my pastor said to me, he said, Keon, he said, you are right now living at what I would call in the meantime. And he said, you're struggling. And I can see it as a young man. You, you, you're lost. You don't have direction. You're so smart and you've got all of these gifts, but you don't know what to do with them. And he said something to me, Brandon, that changed my life. And it's going to change the life of somebody listening. He said, in the meantime, can be a meantime. Mm. Oh, my God. It shocked me when he said yeah. it. He said, in the meantime, can be a meantime. Mm. He says, but, but it ought to remind you that hope is a virtue. That hope is a virtue. He says, it's not just a feeling. He said, it's God's, it's God's design. He said, hope is God's gift to you. And it'll help you uh, to, to get through hard season. He said, uh, and I'm, I'm quoting him because I can hear him speaking in my mind now. He says, this, this helps you when you get in your head while you're waiting on getting into heaven. Isn't that powerful? Mm. That the meantime can be a meantime. Um, and I wrote that in the book, uh, shift uh, in chapter two, talking about desperation, that that while you're in between uh, the cradle and the grave can be a mean time. But life is not about what happens to you. Life is about what you do with what happens to you. I read something some time ago that said that most people, Brandon, will spend about four years of their life waiting on something whether it's the grocery store, yeah. whether it's the restaurant, whether it's in traffic, you're going to spend four at the bank. You're going to spend four years of your life just waiting. The second half of that article said that the people who are successful in life have learned to utilize their delays. Mm. The question was raised, what do you do while you're waiting? What do you do while you're waiting on your spouse to see your perspective? What do you do while you're waiting on your spouse to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, if they were not when you uh, were wed together, what do you do while you're waiting on your child to understand what you raised and put in them? What do you do while you're waiting on a job that can help you meet ends meet? That's important because if you wait wrong, you can't come out right. Mm. What do you do in your delays? What do you do when you have tears in your eyes? What do you do when you're frustrated? And what you do with those moments determine how you come out. The scripture says they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. That's right. Yeah. And, and when you see that word wait, I used to think that it meant wait as a chronological sense. Like I'm waiting, I'm waiting on God to do something. But if you look up that word wait in the original language, it actually means to serve. Mm. So when the Bible says they that wait on the Lord, it's not talking about a person who's whistling twiddling their fingers and looking at the watch. It's not passive. It's not passive. It's like the waiter at the restaurant Ah. that goes and gets the glass uh, uh, full of ice and water and and goes and comes back and says, is everything fine? Is everything to your liking? Is the steak cooked to your temperature? See, when you're waiting, you're waiting. You're not waiting. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. If Shifting that mindset of, you know, (laughs) that you're not powerless amid these times yes. where it seems like you are. Like if you can actually believe that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live your life, even when everything in the natural looks and feels the opposite, that's huge. I mean, that yes. that would have to just, I mean, be so psychologically affirming that, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm 
it maybe feels passive, but if you know deep down in your spirit that it's actually not, I can't, I mean, and I've felt this to a degree. It's like having that perspective change really helps. It really does. And and you have to, it's a decision. Yeah. It is a decision. It's, it doesn't happen by osmosis. It's a decision. I read every book that I could read. I, I was, I was at every conference that I could be at. I, I, I didn't have it. Uh, innately by my circle of influence. So I had to find it. I knew what I wanted in life. And so I had to find people who had it because one thing I know about life, if you are following somebody who's going nowhere, you're going to get there right after them. Yeah. Well, and so your book, The Shift, really is empowering to a lot of individuals who are walking through these, you know, these crazy seasons of dealing with all these disappointments, divorces, devastation, you know, all of these challenges that life throws our way. For a moment now, and this will, um, I'm not asking you to prophesy, but I believe, this is just my take, and feel free to disagree, but I think corporately, uh, the body of Christ, whatever denomination you belong to, is in a real interesting period of transition as a whole. And I think many young Christians like us are are looking at the landscape and we see all sorts of different things. But when I have watched, especially just as a journalist here in D.C. on the front lines, we see ministers falling into gross sin. We see corruption being exposed. And it seems like it's more than usual lately. I mean, the Ravi Zacharias stuff has come out recently, and there's just this one thing right after the other. And as I know that I'm sure that as the audience that you have has grown, if you had to learn how to steward your influence and you know walk in integrity and all that. But can you address sort of the shift that I think the entire church, the remnant church, the people who are faithful, Bible-believing Christians are going through right now. How can they think of where God is taking us as a whole? What, what advice would you have on that? The, the entire world system has been shaken. Well, we, that's true too, yes. We, we're, we're looking at the church that's been shaken by, you know, parishioners who can't, especially in the African-American context, where a lot of parishioners depend on the in-person gathering right. uh, as, as a place of, uh, of fellowship. Um, and, and I think it's no secret that uh, when you look at the scope and landscape of America, uh, some of the evangelical churches have gotten back to in-person worship uh, a lot faster than those in the African-American context. So you've got that going on. And then you've got social justice mm-hmm. on the ballot. And then you've got the economy on the ballot. And then you've got partisanship and bickering on the ballot. And you've got you've got all of these things that are happening on the ballot. And the church stands in the middle as having in times past been the answer to all of those questions. And yet our leaders are suffering in real time. Right. Our leaders are leading in real time. And we don't know what the positivity rate of COVID will be uh, because there could be an event and there's a super spreader. And then all of a sudden goes from 5% to 17%. Everything is fluid. Everything is moving. And all of our leaders who are human, by the way, are being asked to lead in real time. And now we've got social media that is that is that is everywhere. And everybody is a journalist now if they have a camera. And and then you've got the 24 hour news cycle. Everybody's under so much pressure. And while the ministers are falling into corrupt sin because we are held to a higher standard, I think there is an understanding that the people we lead 
are in the same boat. And mm -hmm. what do we do? Because what I've learned about the church, and, and I say this with all sincerity, I used to think that the church was spiritual. It is only recently that I found out that we're much more judgmental than we are spiritual. Mm. That we're not loving each other the way we used to or should. And, and that we've got the black and the white conversation. And the Bible tells us that in God's eyes, there's no male or female, no black or white, no Jew nor Gentile. We're all precious in his sight. Mm -hmm. I think that if we could get back to the original message of Christ, which is to love those who despitefully use us and to give bread to those who give us a stone and to give a word to those who give us a snake, then if my people yeah. who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. We need God. We need God more than we need. We need our judgmental politics. We need God more than we need our red states and blue states. We need God more than we need Republican or Democrat. We need God more than we need black or white. We need direction from the only one who is the way. Amen. And I say that we should let the Lord lead us by the hand day by day, step by step. And that's the shift that I'm looking for America to make. And this reminds me of what God said to us in the storm when he was on that river and that lake, I should say. And, and he said, peace be still. I just I'm just I think that when we come together like you and I are today, totally different backgrounds. But us coming together today is God's voice whispering, peace be still. Got to know our authority, man. It's just so true. Where can people get your book? And tell us just where our listeners can find you, find out more about your church, your life, your ministry. Yeah, I, I think of it in the opposite way. Whenever somebody connects with us, Brandon, it's actually my opportunity to get connected with them. All right. And so if you could if you could connect with me uh, at Pastor Keon uh, on uh, all social media platforms, my name is K-E-I-O-N. And you can get the book at, uh, we created a website to make it easier for you. If you go to Keon Henderson, uh, book.com, you can actually find out all of the places where the book is sold as opposed to searching all over the place. It's on Amazon, it's on Audible, it's everywhere. But if you go to Keon Henderson, book.com, it'll show you all of the places where you can get the book. So I recommend it, not just because I wrote it, but feedback from people actually lets me know uh, that it is helpful. And it is my memoir. It is my life's work. I put everything in it. I am as transparent uh, as you will see, because nobody grows from a hidden lesson. So I hope the book helps. And I hope it, it ushers as many people uh, into dominion and, and over disappointment and development and direction and determination and ultimately destiny is where I hope the book leads you. Well, you know, you can never underestimate the power of a testimony. And the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I, I just thank you so much, Pastor Keon, for joining us today. Really appreciate it. All right, it has been my honor, Brandon. Thank you so much. And I hope we can do it again soon. Amen. Take care. Mm -hmm.